Stand with me, please, for the reading of Scripture. We're in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. It says here, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I... uh, I uh, thank you for this word today, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord, that the opportunity to go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, Lord, it's a blessing. And if we didn't do that, I probably wouldn't ever preach this text. So I thank you for it, Lord. I, uh, I thank you for what we're going to learn. I pray that we would be hearers and doers of the word. I pray that we would see that this word here is a, a call for all of us, especially as men, a call to holiness and godliness and upright living. Lord, I pray that your spirit would show up here today. I pray that your spirit would make what's real in our, in our head, the things that we believe and, and confess real to our hearts, Lord, so that they may become part of our, our, our behavior, Lord, and, and our, even our affections and, and the way we love. And So uh, bless this time, Lord. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, I've known Tyler Johnson is the lead pastor of All Redemption, and I've known him probably for about 10 years. And uh, in about 2007, he started asking me uh, if I would be interested in, in being a pastor. And my first response was like, no way, you know, no way would I ever be a pastor, you know. I'm just the young life guy, I just do the youth ministry stuff, I'm the fun guy, and uh, and. And my problem was I elevated pastors up way too high, right? I saw them as holy and exalted, and no way anyone could ever get there. And, uh, and I, I remember even I, I felt a little guilty because when he talked about being a pastor, I felt guilty because at the time I was downloading illegal content from LimeWire, you know, stealing music and movies from the Internet, and I felt guilty about that. Yeah, I can't be a pastor, man. I, I'm stealing music from the internet, and, and thank God for Apple Music, so I don't have to do that stuff. <laughs> and uh, and I remember, the and uh, you know talking about that, and then uh, I was like, dude, pastors can't listen to rap music. How can a pastor listen to rap music? He's like, yeah, pastors can listen to rap music. What's the big deal? You know, but I was making excuses. Uh, uh, you know, I I saw these things in the scripture that God called. Uh, pastors to be, and, and uh, it was scary, right? It was scary. And so that's, that's what Paul is writing, what a pastor and elder should look like. And so just a quick recap, uh, this, this letter, Titus, right, this book of the Bible is Paul the Apostle writing to Titus. Paul is writing, this is the main thing of all the book of Titus. If you remember from last week, he's writing for the sake of the faith, of the elect, right? He wants people, 
the elect, God's chosen people to hear the gospel and be converted, right? He wants the elect's faith to grow. And he's writing, and, and it says here, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Right? That's, this is, I, I would say, man, this is probably the main thing, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul is writing so that people would get saved and then they would live godly lives so that their lives would be transformed, that they would change, that they would not be just converts but disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And so as, as, uh, as Paul and Titus had preached the gospel here on this island of Crete, a lot of people had come to faith, and, and now Paul wants to ensure that they grow in the faith. And so what does Paul do? He, he leaves them. It tells us in verse 5, he leaves Titus there in Crete so that he can put what remained in order. He's going to order the, these local churches that have popped up all over the island, and he's going to appoint elders. Appoint, which uh, the, the same word could be called a pastors, elders. Verse 7, it, call, it says overseers. These are all uh, talking about, there might be some distinctions within them, but basically it's male leadership in the church. Right? So that for the sake of the faith of the elect, and for their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, Paul is saying you need leaders. You need leadership over these church so that people keep coming to faith and people keep coming and growing in godliness. And you need godly leaders to do this. So that's what he's doing. And one thing you'll notice is God calls men to lead in the church. He calls men to be to the role of elder Right? Women can lead in the church. It's not saying women can't lead. They can't do uh, great things. Women are so important and valuable in the church. But for the role of pastor, elder is reserved for men. Right? God wants men to lead just like he wants the man to lead in the home. And so if you're wondering who are the kind of elders here at Redemption West Mesa, it would be Joel Josue and I. And we're a young church, so... Uh, eventually, there'll there'll be other elders that are appointed, but we just haven't got to that point yet. Uh, and so, Paul has given us the qualities to look for in these men. And what you have to see that is that these things are qualities; they're not perfection, right? Uh, that's the thing that kind of freaked me out. As I told you about being a pastor, I I thought it was perfection, and I knew, and I know now, I'm not perfect, right? No, no pastor is perfect. If, if you're looking for the perfect pastor, you're looking for Jesus, right? So there'll be no perfect pastor until Jesus Christ returns. So this is qualities, not perfection. If you're looking for perfection, we're going to disappoint you every time, right? We fail. We make mistakes. We have to repent, ask for forgiveness, and, 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 uh, and that's just the normal Christian life. So here's the two er- two, I got two errors that people can make with the pastor, the kind of this pastor elder role. All right, one is to elevate pastors and elders too high, right? To exalt them, to worship them, and, and put them up on a pedestal, which is kind of what, what my problem was with what, before I came into leadership, right? And, and uh, you know, it's kind of a weird feeling. It's just a strange, I was at a quinceanera this past week. It's a 15, 15th birthday party, if you don't know what that is. And, uh, you know, they, 
they asked me to pray and say a little something for the for the girl whose whose party it was and and they announced me as pastor and it just feels weird you know the way everyone looks at you and everyone just talks to you different now because you're the pastor and I can't just dude I'm just a normal dude here sitting here at this table enjoying a party you know it's weird you know pastors shouldn't be elevated we're normal guys you know another thing as you see is is uh, whenever you're talking to someone and they ask, oh, so what do you do? I kind of hate getting to that question because as soon as I say it's pastor, they're like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I was cussing and stuff. And oh, man, I'm like, dude, I'm okay. My ears can handle it, you know. And, and so it's just weird. We, we shouldn't elevate us. We're normal guys. If you elevate a pastor, it's dangerous, you know. It could lead to misuse of power. It, it and, uh, you know, giving a guy too much power in the church, especially if he struggles with pride and, you know, he's going to want to control over everyone and, and everything. Right? So when I look at this, I just... And, and this, so the second error is, I think, putting pastors down too low. Right? Putting pastors down too low. And the way that people do that is, is by acting like none of these, these qualities matter. Right? You'll... You'll hear people say stuff like, oh, well, well, dude, look, that guy's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of gifts. So he needs to be in the, the you know, in a, in a leadership role because, look, uh, David, David sinned, right? He killed a guy. Moses killed a guy. And they'll look at all these flawed men in the Bible and say, well, he can kind of get away with everything now, right? And so they bring a past, the pastoral role or, or elder role down too low. And that's a great danger. Right to bring a pastor too low and diminish the the qualities or qualifications for a pastor because and that's how these guys who are having adultery committing adultery on their wife right they're they're having affairs and they're they're divorcing their wives and these guys are greedy for money and it's all about you know uh, their fame and their platform that's how these guys end up in leadership so it can't be can't elevate a pastor too high and and you can't diminish them too low the way I, I would I would Think about uh, a pastor-elder kind of role. Pastor-elders are like pace setters in a long race, a marathon, right? The Bible speaks of the, 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 our life like we're running this, this race, and it's a long race. It's not a sprint. It's this marathon. And so pastors, if you think about the pastoral role, elders, is, is we're running on ahead of everyone and, and setting the pace, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus, and we're going. And what I've seen over the years is, is uh, as I grow, as us pastors grow, and we've grown a lot over these last five years, then the people grow, right? Not that everyone uh, learns every single thing from us, but as we grow, we learn things and we share them and we teach them and we share what God's doing in our hearts and, and we all grow together. So pastors, not too high, not too low, pace setters, setting the pace in the race. And, and the cool thing is, is that, some of you guys will pass us, and I hope everyone will pass us. That means we're doing a good job if you guys all pass us, as long as you're not passing us because we, we, we fail morally, right? But if we're running the race and we're being faithful to God and we're growing and learning, you know, I pray every single one of you would, would pass us in maturity and knowledge of God's Word and obedience to God and love for God and love for others, and, and God would use you all for great things. Right? But we set the pace. That, that's, what, that's what you can think about us. 
And another thing you have to see about this is it's easy to look at it. It's like, well, this is only for guys that are going to be elders and, and pastors and overseers in the church. And so I don't need to worry about this. But I, when I look at this text, this text is what every man should be. Every man should aspire to have these qualities in their lives, right? These characteristics, every man. And, and not everyone's going to be a pastor, elder, or overseer, but we should have all these qualities. So I think this, this text is not just for, for, this is for all of us as men today, all right? So let's look at this. Uh, I think here's, we're going to see three characteristics of an, an elder, basically, that he's describing. I'm going to summarize them in three. The first one is a godly home. The second one is godly character. And the third is godly doctrine. And the reason I use the word godly, right, is because he's concerned about the knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness, which means Christ-likeness, Right? holiness, a transformed life. So godly home, character, and doctrine. We see the home described in Titus 1.6. He says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Right? So we see your pastor, elder, oversteward. So the first thing we see there is he's God's steward. He's stewarding God's family, right? And, 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 and it's God's family. It's not his church. It's God's church. And, and the, the concept of stewardship is, is someone managing someone else's assets. So the, the elder is the leader or manager, overseer over God's family. It doesn't belong to us. And so if you want to see what, what an elder will be like, in the church, in his leadership, you look at his home life, right? If, if he can't lead his home, he's not going to be able to lead in the church, right? If he, if he can't lead his wife and his children spiritually, he's going to struggle to lead the church spiritually. And, and so that should be the starting place, right? For all men, the, the, the main ministry, our main ministry is in our homes. And some pastors will... will you know, make being a pastor their identity, and they'll neglect their home life. They'll neglect their wives, and they'll neglect their children, and, and they'll end up divorced, and their ch- kids will grow up, and they'll hate the church, right? Those men should not be in leadership, right? The men who should be in leadership have a, a loving home where the gospel is centered. And so if you aspire to any kind of leadership in the church you should focus on your home life your home is your your proving ground right the home is 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 primary so important the other things we learn here is uh, here's some specific things as paul goes through this list that that to look for right that all men should be the first thing is that he should be above reproach it literally means not to be involved in any kind of court battles he should be above reproach he should be blameless right no one can throw a a a false charge a false accusation at him and have it stick that's what it means to be blameless right someone could falsely accuse you but it's not going to stick and so when i think about uh, uh 
being uh, blameless, I, I, think about, uh, I think about it this way. Imagine if someone accused you as a man of, of having an affair on your wife. You're cheating on your wife, someone tells you, right? If you are above reproach, people will say, well, no way that would ever happen, right? He, he loves his wife. He, he comes home every day. He just goes to work, comes home. He, he takes care of his family. He's not flirting around. He's not the kind of guy that sees the, the girl walk by and, you know, has the shifty eyes, right? People, if you're above reproach, they would say, no way. Where if you're not above reproach, if you're not blameless, people will say, well, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, right? I see the way he flirts with, with girls. I see, you know, his wife tells me that, uh, that when, he, when she asks him where he's going, he gets mad and doesn't want to tell her, right? So above reproach, it means that, you know, your, the, your character, your characteristics, people would say, no way, because I, I see how he lives his life. That's what it means. Called to be a, a husband of one wife. It, mean, it literally means the, a, a one-woman man, right? So it means uh, the, a pastor, elders, men in general, right, shouldn't be looking at porn. Porn's not just a, a thing that guys do. You hear that a lot in the culture. Ah, oh, that's just a thing that all guys do. It's not a big deal, right? No, that's not being a one-woman man. Right? You're, that means you don't have any affairs. You're not flirting around with other women. Your, your wife is your standard of beauty. One woman man. Strong marriage as well is so important, right, that he's committed and cares for his wife. His children are believers. Now, this is a, a hard one right here uh, because, it, like, I'm not the Savior. Like, I, I can't save my children. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I wish... I wish I could. I wish I could convert their hearts. But the word that it uses here implies small children in the Greek. And so I, I believe what, what, what Paul's communicating is the fact that most small children will believe what their parents believe. Right? They'll, and, and as they grow up, maybe they'll, they'll start having doubts or, or, and maybe they'll you know, walk away you know, and, and believe something totally different. But your children should share your faith in your home, right? It should reflect their children's faith because they see us, right, as we, as we model faith to them, as we model the Christian life to them. You know, one of the greatest ways to really jack up your children's faith from an early age is if you live one way at the church and you live another way at home, right? If you want your kids to... To be believers, they need to see what faith looks like. And if they see that you're fake, right, they're going to think, well, everyone's fake. That's what Christians do. They, they put on this thing on Sunday, and then they, they live totally different the rest of the week. Right? So your children, your young children should see you modeling faith. And we should be intentionally teaching our children. Right? So they believe what we believe because we teach, we teach them one thing, and and we tell them it's truth. One of the, one of the mistakes that, uh, that parents can make is, is they, they just kind of teach them everything and they can decide when they get older. No, if, if you know something is true and you believe it's true, you teach them the truth. Right? That's the gospel. That's, you teach them God's word. So their, their children should have their parents' faith. And fathers can't drop the ball on parenting. Fathers, as we can see here, it's... it's 
the responsibility of the father. Right? God's calling men not to just say, oh, that's what the women, women do that part with the kids, right? No, that's the man's responsibility. Another thing is no, no charge of debauchery. It's, again, the idea of no being above reproach. But what that means is no one can accuse you of indulging in sensual pleasures, right? Drunkenness or porn or, or uh, adultery. No one can accuse you of, of using illegal drugs. Another thing, and I think this is a huge one. This is so important is insubordination, right? That means, right, he, this man, sh- men should be able to be under authority, right? Every man should be under authority, right? Uh, we're all under the authority of God. We're all under the authority of our, of our government. We're all under authority of our, of our boss, right, at work, right? So, and then in the church, right, we're, we're under Christ. We're, we're called to be under pastors and elders, all men, right? I'm under authority. All of us elders here are under the authority of, of Redemption Church and Tyler and, and, and the leadership team. So every man should be under authority. And, and if a man can't be under authority... Right? He doesn't submit to authority. He is going to be a very dangerous leader in the church. Right? Because if he can't submit to everyone, he's going to lead like he's the dictator. Right? He's the ruler. He's the king on the throne. And everyone needs to listen to him. So men, uh, you know, God's leaders need to be in authority and under authority at the same time. That's very important. Very important. Second thing we see, and, and it kind of ties into the same thing, is, is godly character. Men are called to have godly character. Verse 7, second part of 7, it says, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. That's five negative characteristics right there. And then there's six positive characteristics. But he's to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Right? So if he has these negative characteristics, I mean, look at him. If he's arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, he's going to be a bully, right? He's going to be that guy who leads like a dictator, like a king. Everyone exists for him. And he'll take everything personal, and, and no one will be able to, uh, to criticize him or give him any suggestions, right, if you put that kind of guy in leadership. Six positive characteristics, hospitable, lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. If you'll notice here, Paul doesn't focus on skills, right? He focuses on character. Now, you would think, like, how do most of us want to pick leaders? We want to pick leaders that have all the best skills, right? He's the best preacher. He's the best leader. He's the best, the most organized guy. He's got a vision. He's got this great personality. But Paul's saying, no, find a man with good character, right? He must have good character. If he's going to lead God, people to be godly, he needs to be godly himself, right? And so, and I think there's two reasons that, that character trumps giftedness. And I think it's because uh, if you don't have if a man doesn't have godly character, he'll use his, his skills in a selfish way, right? We, we probably, you've probably seen it, right? It's not unusual for a gifted leader to use his skills to, to build a church and gather a crowd, right? Because 
I mean, people are, are, are attracted to that, right? He's got, the, he's got the personality. He's got the giftedness. And, and, and if they don't have the character, they'll get puffed up or, or they fail morally and, and they crash down and the whole church comes crashing down with them. Right? It's not uncommon for them that to happen. So they need to have good character right? or they'll fall into spiritual ruin or, 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 or they'll just fail uh, morally. Second, uh, failure to teach truth. This is the second reason why, why character is more important than skill is failure morally will, will te- usually will lead to failure to teach truth, right? It will affect their doctrine, right? So, so what, what comes first is the, the moral failure, and then they don't want to teach the truth, right? Because if they're caught up in sin and they got hid in sin and, and they got a secret life, they're not going to want to talk about sin and, and repentance and confession. Right? They're going to keep everything surface and happy and, and not want to deal with the deeper things. So characterism is so important. Another thing is, you know, if, if he doesn't have good character, he's just going to teach what attracts the crowd. He's going to teach whatever puts, you know, butts in the seat because he's going to be greedy for gain. That's one of the things that he lists here in this in these negative characteristics, right? He's greedy for gain. Right? So if he's about all about money and, and success and greedy for gain, then he's gonna teach what attracts the crowd. You know, uh, sound doctrine doesn't always attract a crowd because it's you're just teaching the same old thing that everyone else has been teaching for two thousand years, right? So people are sometimes are attracted to people with these, these new, crazy doctrines. So godly character, guys, is what matters. Right? That's, what, that's what he's saying, right? You don't need to be the most gifted guy. You have all the, all the crazy skills. Sometimes, you know, uh, as, I know that as guys, you know, we think being a church leadership, oh, man, I don't have all that and this and that. It's not about that. It's about character, right? How, how are you in the home? How, how, what does your life look like? And God can use, you know, faithful men. Third thing we see is the, he's to have godly doctrine. He must, verse 9 says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it, right? So two tasks that require him to hold firm to the trustworthy word, to hold tr- firm to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This whole thing is, is the gospel. And, and, he, and the, the, God's men need to hold firm to it. Why? Because he's got, he's got to give instruction and sound doctrine. If he doesn't hold firm to it, he can't teach healthy doctrine because he's not learning and growing in God's word. And he's got a, he's got a hard job. He's got to rebuke those who contradict it. So I gotta hold firm to this word because God's calling me to, to rebuke and correct people, right? Rebuke someone who falls into, into bad doctrine, bad teaching, or and to stand up against sin and, and call it what it is and call people to repentance. I gotta hold firm to this. Right? If pastors don't hold firm to God's word, then they're they're gonna be they're not gonna have the faith, right? The boldness to to step into what God's calling them to. So men, are you, are you holding firm to God's word? 
We have to. to even if you think about God's calling all this to, to have a godly home, godly character, right? sound, sound doctrine, you can't do it without holding firm to the Word. Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you praying? It, it must be a, a regular discipline. Just like you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you know, you better pray. Read your Bible. Or if it's not in the morning, it better be part of your day. And I think another part of holding firm to the trustworthy word is, is the gospel. Holding firm to Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the word who became flesh. So we must hold firm to, to Jesus. If we're going to be these kind of men, we've got to hold firm to, to the good news of the gospel. Right? Jesus was the only perfect man. He lived the perfect life. He dies the death we deserve to die. Right? He, he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. And unless we're holding firm to, to the word and to the gospel, we're going to hear this, and we're going to think, oh, man, I am so screwed up. There's no way I could ever do this. I got to do better. I got to try harder. I got to clean up my life. That's what we start hearing, right? And Satan lies, whispers lies in our ears. Oh, you're just a failure. You're a screw up. There's no way you could ever be, be this kind of man. If you're not holding the gospel, your heart wants to go to religion, right? Cleaning it up, doing it on your own. But that's not where we go. That's not clinging to the trustworthy word. The trustworthy word says that you're forgiven, that you're loved. Right, that you're not a failure, you're a, a, a citizen of God's kingdom, and you're a child of God. And God loves you where you're at, and God wants to use you. So God forgives you, and because he forgives you, then, you know what? I don't have to worry about all those failures in the past, I just need to be faithful today. Because Christ every day forgives me. And so when I wake up in the morning, yeah, I failed yesterday, I confess, I repent, I ask God for forgiveness, and then now I can focus on today being who God wants me to be. That's holding firm to the trustworthy word. It's clinging to Jesus. And then, and then what happens when we do that, Jesus gives us the resources that we need to be who he's calling us to be. Right? He gives us the, the word of God. He gives us the spirit of God. He gives us the people of God to encourage us, to walk with us, right? That's the only way we do it. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So, the, so we just, we can't do anything here without Jesus. And guys, I just know it's tough today because men are encouraged to live as perpetual children. In the, in the world we live in, that's what men are, are encouraged to be, Right? To, to avoid responsibility, to avoid uh, commitment, to, to push your, you know, maturity. In, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about adolescence, right? You hear a lot in culture uh, about adolescence, and, and we see adolescence extends to, to men's 30s and 40s, and, and they're grown children. But the Bible doesn't use the word adolescence. He, he calls you either a boy or a man right? Adolescence is just, a, is just an excuse to act like a boy while you're grown up. So God, and so you can be a grown and be like a boy, or you can be, no matter what age you are, you can be man. You can be a man, and you can be godly. 
And I, I just see stuff like, you hear the stuff in our culture telling young men to sow their wild oats, right? Sleep with as many women as you can while you're young and use women. And, and it's just foolishness. I mean, just think about it. Uh, men in our culture are told, sleep with as many women as you, as you want before you, you know, get married. And, and basically all they're doing is setting themselves up for adultery and divorce, right? If young men grow up and they sleep with a bunch of women, there is no way they're going to be faithful to one wife when they get married, right? How does that pattern all of a sudden break, you know, after 25 years of, of sleeping around? It doesn't happen. And so men, we can't just settle for who we are now. We need to strive for godliness. We need to strive for these things. Our families, our, our neighborhood, the church needs us. Right? We need each other. We've got to encourage each other to, to grow, spur one another on towards love and good deeds for God's kingdom. And so manhood's not about being macho, tough guy. It's about taking responsibility, right? Serving and, and seeing to it that other people flourish. It really is looking outside of yourself and, and putting other need, others' needs and desires first. So I want to remind you, what, what's God calling us to is, is to have godly families, godly character, and godly doctrine. And so I want to do something different. We've never done this before, but I, I want to pray for the men of the church. And what I would like is for all the men, uh, you know, this might make you uncomfortable, but if, if you want to be prayed for, come up. And I, I want to pray for you guys. And it's not because I'm perfect and I'm the one that's got it all together and I'm going to pray for you to catch up to me or something. I'm going to pray for us because God calls us to a task that is impossible. It's hard, and, and we need prayer. And, I, and I'd encourage you guys, and I'd ask you guys to pray for us. Pray for us as well, right? This is convicting stuff for me as well, and I'm not there. So, so come on up, guys. Let's, let's pray. We can huddle up, and uh, I'll pray for us, and, uh, and we'll go to communion. Lord, I uh, just thank you for all these men, Lord. You love them. I love them. Lord, I, uh, you call us to things that are impossible on our own. We can't do it. And I thank you that we can't be these kind of men without you, Lord. It reminds us of our need for you, Jesus, for our Savior. It reminds us of our need for the Spirit and, your, and to cling to your word. And I just pray for these men to, to have godly homes, Lord, to love their wives, to pursue their hearts, to cherish them, to pursue the hearts of their children, to, to discipline and disciple them, Lord, to have godly character and godly lives, Lord, to, to cling to your word. Transform us, Lord. Transform us all. Change us all, Lord. I pray as we stand together, Lord, huddled together, Lord, that 
You'd use us for this, this city, Lord, to make an impact in, in this community for your kingdom, for your glory. I pray that we would put you on display, Lord, with our lives. Would you use us, Lord? We, come, we, we stand here humbly before you. We're not there. We're not perfect, Lord, but we want to run the race of life, this marathon, and keep pr- pressing forward, Lord, in faithfulness. Be with everyone, Lord. Help them in, in their work life, in, in how they work and in, in, in all of our lives. Help us live all of life, all for you, Jesus. In uh, your name we pray, Lord. Amen.